When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. You're listening to Mackie and Judd from the TCL Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. I mean, I've said it a million times. I like Latavius and the way he uh, approaches the game. Um, you know, and typically, you know, he's not a one-carry every quarter guy. He's a guy that needs to get the football some. If you get 20 carries, he's probably... You know, hopefully we're running the clock out at the end too. So you know, I um, I don't know about that big a workload, but um, but the more effective he, you know, the longer it goes, usually the more effective he is. Football. Yes, Matthew Collar talks about football on the Purple Podcast. Writes about football, Vikings football at 1500ESPN.com. We are currently reviewing your Minnesota sports dysfunctional moments bracket here. And uh, see that you also chose Love Boat over the roof collapsing, the Metrodome roof collapsing in 2010. Uh, Matthew, please explain your championship matchup and how you came to your conclusion. I, I mean, that's about as tough as it gets, right? I think that you go for unique, weird, bizarre, never heard of it before, never seen anything like this before, catches national attention. But I think what puts the love boat ahead of the dome collapse is that it's so embarrassing that i mean a roof collapsing is like wow something collapsed i can't believe that happened it's kind of random and bizarre and you feel bad if anyone was impacted by something collapsing but the love boat thing is just super funny and ridiculous and it makes your franchise look like a joke show and by the way, if anyone ever gets a chance to look at the Wikipedia, do it without the kids around, but it's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, McKinney was doing some stuff he shouldn't have been doing, and Smooty shouldn't have been doing. He's a grown man. Smooty <laughs> was doing some stuff, but I'll tell you what, there were a bunch of guys playing dice up on the deck, and that's all they, they were doing, because I went to the uh, the trial, and I was told by those guys that they were just playing dice, and that, that was it. That actually had the greatest moment of all time I've seen when when Mo Williams was being interrogated and at one point said, strip clubs? I took my mom to strip clubs. And we're all like, Mo, that's not going to help you. Well, what was the what was the Moeldy Moore one? That he had the quote, too, where... Sex? Sex? I was standing there, he goes, sex? I don't know about no sex. I'm engaged. I'm engaged. I mean, all of those famous, hilarious quotes. And the fact that Mo Williams, if I remember, his penalty was like $300 or something, yeah. right? I mean, it was nothing. 
it was always, I mean, ultimately the thing is nothing but a freak fest, but I mean, you know, the, the amount of run that it got, the fact that it was nationally known, it wasn't just, Hey, a lot of snow forced your roofs to collapse. Uh, this was something that had a lot of legs to it. Put it that way. Pun intended. So I think, I think that is the weirdest thing in Minnesota sports to ever have. They imported the strippers. From Georgia. Yeah, the Minnesota strippers weren't good enough, apparently. <laughs> Got to go to Atlanta. Ridiculous. And uh, there's, a, there's a really funny wiki detail. The best way that I could put it is there's, um, there's two sides to every story. Let's put it that way. Well, and then and, and then when, wow. when Barstool decides to do a, a little mini documentary on it, and, of course, Fred Smoot, who's the face of the entire operation is narrating and going through the entire process i mean you know you've you've made it in the world of dysfunction i love how fred smoot in that documentary comes off as and it's and it's i I think if you were to ask him what what's your proudest moment of your life or career your football career or organizing love boat i think he would say love boat and he came across as as love boat being number one in the documentary they should retire his number for that i mean we're talking about a guy really living in infamy. How many people can say that played in the NFL, they will never, ever be forgotten for one reason or another. And for this one, Fred Smoot will never be forgotten. It's my favorite to laugh about. And then that I think is, is good too, because there are some other on our tournament that are a little bit like sad in a way, or just, you know, it was just sort of a really bad situation. I don't want that. I don't want that as my top moment. I want it to be hysterical. And this, Meets that qualification. Smooth getting burned uh, continually by Steve Smith in Carolina. And, and then I think the final time was on about the two. And Steve Smith gets up and, and he's down, but he walks in the end zone and mock rows the boat. That is when I knew this was one of the great moments of all time. When Steve Smith in Carolina is rowing the boat in front of Fred Smoot, who is completely defeated. That's where you said, you know what? Everybody's getting exactly what they deserve from this. Well, I already thought that Steve Smith was a Hall of Fame wide receiver. I didn't realize he did that, and that puts him in, over the top, into the Hall of Fame. Yes, for sure. All right, Vikings and Jets this weekend. What are you – we've we've talked about Dalvin Cook, and he's officially out, by the way. What what are the things that you are most interested in between Vikings and Jets this Sunday? Well, I mean, number one has to be Sam Darnold, right? I I mean, I've gone back and watched some of his games now, and there are moments where this kid is – spectacular, where you can see that he has the potential to be one of the 10 best quarterbacks in the league. His playmaking ability, his arm talent, I mean, it's it's all just spectacular. There are very few guys that make as many big-time throws that can launch it down the field with accuracy, that can fit it into a tight window, but at the same time, there have been some games where he has been really down, and some of it came from playing on a short week. I think you saw a little bit from Josh Rosen. If you're a rookie playing on a short week, that's almost impossible. I mean, that's tough for Aaron Rodgers to do, much less somebody who just came into the league, so there's some of it you have to kind of shove aside, but there's other things where he'll just fling the ball down the field and it gets picked off and things like that, so... I'm really interested just to see him play a full game against this Minnesota Vikings defense because we saw just what type of havoc the Vikings defense can wreak on a rookie quarterback. But he's going to be a little bit shorthanded without a couple of his wide receivers. And that's another thing for this game, too, is just how much 
the injuries impact both sides. It's not just Delvin Cook, but it's another week without Riley Reef. And last week they kind of got away with it, aside from when Chandler Jones forced a fumble to turn into a touchdown. Uh, and, you know, not having Reef for a couple of weeks here, we'll see a little more of Brian O'Neill and whether he could potentially win that right tackle job. And then no Andrew Sandejo for this game either, which means they're going to have to kind of scramble to fill in that safety spot. George Iloka did, I, I thought, a fantastic job last week. They mixed in Anthony Harris and J. Ron Curse. And now with Mike Hughes out, they have to shuffle even a little bit more. So I think injuries are another thing to watch in this game. I'm going to go super football right now and pose this question to you. With Rashad Hill uh, starting, as you just mentioned, for a second consecutive week at left tackle, how difficult is that matchup for him? Because that's the one thing every week that Reef can't play, you're going to have to hold your breath as far as how Hill is going to hold up against his competition play in that spot. Yeah, well, the the thing that's nice for him is that he's not facing any sort of Chandler Jones. Uh, I mean, that's one of the five best players at that position in the league, and no surprise, he just completely shredded the Vikings. But uh, this week, that that's not the case at all. Where the Jets get their pressure is two different ways. They get it from the interior and Leonard Williams, and this will be a huge challenge for Tom Compton and Pat Elfline and Mike Remmers. Again, another great defensive tackle, but Leonard Williams is the real deal and uh, his partner in crime, Henry Anderson, is pretty good, too. So they have, like, uh, some, some serious interior talent. But on, on the edges, it, it's not as serious. I mean, Brandon Copeland's a good player. Jordan Jenkins is a good player. But neither one of these guys would you say, like, watch out, this guy's going to the Hall of Fame. Where you have to watch, and what will be really interesting to see, is how they handle the blitzes. The Jets are fifth in the league for the percentage of plays that they blitz, which isn't a scary thing if you're the Vikings because you have Kirk Cousins and he's very experienced and very smart, so you're not going to see the type of confusion that you saw from Josh Rosen last week as a rookie, but at the same time, that means everybody has to protect and everybody has to communicate, and when you have one guy playing in a position at the left side, he doesn't usually play, another guy is a rookie, you can bet that the Jets are looking at Brian O'Neill as, okay, this is a talented young player, but young player is the key word there, and they're going to try and take advantage of him with some of their blitzes. Yeah. Hey, how would you currently rank the uh, NFC North teams, your, your NFC North power rankings? Um, can I just have them all tied? I mean, this is right? this and that's weird, the thing. right? I mean, it's just, it's just a strange division. I, I, I can't be overly impressed as much as uh, Aaron Rodgers was unbelievable against the San Francisco 49ers. It's not like he beat a great team there with what he did on Thursday night. And then, you know, Detroit only has two wins, but they're against Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Uh, Chicago, I do not trust Mitch Trubisky still. From what I've watched of him on tape so far this year, it's, eh. I mean, it, there's there's some really good, the Tampa Bay game, but, you know, I mean, that's Tampa Bay's defense that hasn't been good in I don't know how long. So the rest of his games have had a, a lot of ups and downs, and I haven't really seen huge progress like I expected from Trubisky being a top pick that he is. He's not doing what Jared Goff did last year. So how, how do you even rank them, right? Like Chicago clearly has the best defense, but I think that the Vikings have a good case for the best offense, but Aaron Rodgers is always a difference maker. And the Lions, I just don't know about them yet because they have really great wins and bad losses. So I, I, I think that we're in wait-and-see mode with the entire division. Football. All right, all right, Matthew. Uh, go get some rest and get back to grinding YouTube football clips later, and we'll we'll talk to you soon. See ya.
Thank you, fellas. All right. That's Matthew Collar from 1500ESPN.com and the Purple Podcast. Football Hour continues next with Sage Rosenfels. Always one of our favorite conversations every week, Judd. Uh, first time talk to my good friend, Mr. Money Talk, Josh Arnold. Were you always... Mackie and Judd, it's Friday and it's the Football Hour. Sage Rosenfels, you can also hear on the Purple Podcast... Uh, if, you, if you haven't heard their Wednesday episodes, Sage and Matthew, they go over their favorite journeyman quarterbacks, which is, that's become one of my favorite segments on anything we do, Sage. So you guys talking about uh, random quarterbacks from like 15 years ago has become, has become must listen stuff. Well, hey, I'm, I'm sort of a random quarterback from 15 years ago. So, you know, a lot of these guys I either played with or just knew really well or sort of came out around the same time. Uh, some guys we have to do a little research and, and go back, but. Yeah, we, we, we try to focus on uh, sort of a journeyman quarterback that played for an upcoming uh, Vikings opponent. So it keeps it <laughs> sort of, uh, yeah, I don't know, it's sort of like a step back in time, I guess. Who is the most, kind of putting you on the spot here, I guess, but who's the most underappreciated quarterback that you can remember? Somebody who either, you know, maybe they were a backup for a long time or maybe they were just part of a circumstance. You know, they they didn't have Bill Belichick as a coach or something. Who comes to mind when you think of the most underappreciated quarterbacks? Hmm. That's a really good question. You know, I, I don't know if I have the answer. You know, there are a lot of guys who are sort of in that uh, sort of journeyman backup slash starter spot. You know, I mean, we call it, we say Josh McCown is sort of like the king of journeyman quarterbacks. Well, he's also been a starter a lot in his career and made a ton of money, but he has really journeyed. I mean, he's been on like 10 different NFL teams or something like that. So, you know, he's one of those guys that, uh, you know, look back, he was out of the NFL for a couple of years playing in some other uh, football leagues and, and, and scrambling. I think he was a high school coach for a little bit, you know, got a shot back with the Bears, I think, when Mark Tressman was the uh, the head coach and played pretty well, and, and he's still playing. So, you know, I, I love guys like that, that, uh, you know, they've been everywhere. They, they, they've actually they have played a lot. You know, those guys like Chase Daniel in Chicago, uh, who really hasn't even played that much, but has you know made a gazillion of dollars, uh, you know, being a backup quarterback. So he's not sort of on the same respect level uh, as a guy like say Josh McCown. So Sage, which which quarterback during the course of your career did you go to camp with and think to yourself, and, and you saw him practice in the arm, and you said this guy can't miss, and he did. Is, is there a guy who comes to mind as far as that list goes? of a guy who you thought was a can't miss and somehow it didn't work out for him? Um, you know, that's hard one to, to try to describe. You know, I'm, I'm trying to think back. Uh, my second year in the league, uh, we I was at Washington still, and we drafted Patrick Ramsey with like the first or, or like the last pick of the second, or I'm sorry, the last pick of the first round. Uh, he had a really strong arm, but I wasn't sure how athletic he was, how long he was going to make it. And I think he probably lasted for five years or so. Um, you know, I was obviously with Christian Ponder, and uh, you know, my first game uh, when I backed him up, I, I signed with the Vikings with about four or five weeks left in the season. The first game, he played really well, so I thought to myself, "Man, for a rookie, this kid, uh, you know, he's got a chance." And then by the last game of the year, uh, I, I was sort of skeptical of, of sort of what I saw, and it wasn't his physical attributes. You know, Christian could run; he was a good athlete; he had a nice arm. Those weren't the issues. It was sort of all of the other stuff. Uh, that you know that makes up for a quarterback, and you know that's the issue when you're trying to evaluate them. Is that you know when when you're in shorts and t-shirts and you go to the combine and those types of things, you know got, a lot of guys can look great, uh, yep. but you know that type of stuff doesn't always transition over to the NFL. It's a very fast game. It's a very complex game. 
and you have to have guys who can really think on their feet quickly and, and really love to compete. What in your mind, then, going back through the list of things that uh, that ultimately contributed to the fact that Ponder didn't make it in this league, what do you think was the biggest factor of why he didn't make it? I don't think, and I don't want to you know, you know, rip on him, but it didn't seem like to me he had this sort of competitive drive uh, that, uh, you know, to be a really good quarterback, you sort of have to not care what people think about you, and you're just going to work. It, it seemed like Christian sort of overly cared what people thought about him. Uh, but, you know, it, it wasn't like he didn't work hard. He did work hard. Uh, but uh, there is, you know, what, there's something called you know, what I call the it or the grit of a quarterback. And, you know, guys like Drew Brees, uh, you know, he just sort of seeps it on every cell of his body. And, and, uh, and, and Christian didn't, just didn't seem to have that, uh, that sort of, uh, you know, sort of old school, blue collar, grinded out, uh, you know, you know, sort of style uh, uh, of being a quarterback, and and uh, you know, I think that uh, uh, he looked the part, um, he spoke the part. I uh, said he worked hard. Uh, I think his teammates liked him, but you know, when it came down to it, he does he didn't have that sort of con- competitive spirit uh, that can take a, a t- someone with some talent and make them really good. So, Sage, when and and I know you played for a couple of different teams in in your career. What what is the toughest part about transitioning to a new team and learning a new playbook and a new system and everything? Well, yeah, that is a there's a big challenge. There's obviously like there, there's the new team. Uh, so you know, you walk into this locker room. You know, you know, just say I uh, you know get traded to the Vikings from Houston. This goes back to 2009. You know, I, I go up there. Uh, you know, first day of off season workouts. I walk into the locker room. Uh, and there's all these guys that I don't know. You know, maybe I know of them. Maybe I sort of know a few. Maybe I came out in the same rookie class as a couple of guys. But, you know, for the most part, they're strangers. And then you're talking about equipment guys and, and, uh, and, the, and the trainers and all the, the people upstairs. Uh, and then, obviously, there's the playbook and the coaching staff and trying to, and, and really just about, what, four or five months, uh, trying to, uh, you know, sort of master all of those aspects, gain respect to your teammates, gain respect to the people organization. And at the same time, uh, you really learn all the ins and outs of that playbook, which is just impossible to, uh, you know, in, in that short of time in, in just one season. So the longer you can stay on one team, the better chance you're going to have of being successful because you're, you're generally in the same offense. You're around the same, you know, offensive linemen, the, the same receivers uh, for at least a few years. And you get used to that. And when you get thrown into a new situation, uh, there's just so many variables that you have to sort of relearn. And again, as I said, you know, sort of earn, re-earn that respect of, uh, of your teammates uh, that, you know, the more places you go, usually the sort of more unsuccessful you end up being. Mackie and Judd, football hour here with our friend Sage Rosenfels. Uh, where are you at with the Vikings right now? Two straight wins wasn't exactly the most pretty performance, especially in the first half against Arizona, but from where they were going into that Philadelphia game with a bunch of question marks, I mean, they're banged up right now for sure, but where, where are you at with this team as we head to sort of that middle chunk of the season? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those that I'm still sort of waiting and seeing. I'm not really fully buying yet. You know, they're a good football team. I think the Vikings can play with anybody, but I think they also can lose to maybe almost anybody. You know, that Arizona Cardinals team, we saw that last night, that 45-10 to 10 blowout. They're, they're not a very good football team, and, and uh, you know, obviously the Vikings uh, sort of had their way with them, but it wasn't a, a blowout like last night's game, which was in Arizona, by the way. It was not a, a traveling game for them. Usually the home teams do really well on Thursday nights. And so uh, I'm sort of in wait-and-see mode. 
you know, they've got good players. I, I love what Cousins is doing. Uh, I hope they continue to, to run the football uh, successfully. I, I, I truly believe that's the key to their season. They have to uh, run the ball successfully, but they also have to, I think, call more runs. I, they are having success when they run the ball. I just think they're not sticking to it. I see a lot of, you know, if there's a second and eight or second and seven, I feel like we're immediately going to, you know, shotgun and empty formation. It's okay to run the ball in second and, and eight and, 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 you know, get three yards and end up with a, uh, a third and five. Third and fives are fine, you know. But, uh, you know, if we throw the ball, you know, the Vikings keep throwing the ball 40 times a game, uh, I don't see them, you know, winning 11 or 12 games this year. Speaking of the Cardinals, Sage, uh, in watching them on Sunday, it seemed to be the case to me, and then it, it was confirmed, as you just brought up, getting blown out at home by Denver last night. I don't know if you ever played for a truly, truly awful, terrible team, but football must be a miserable experience when you don't want to go to work. Because in in watching the Cardinals on Sunday, they're down by three at the half, and they came out, and it was almost as if, all right, let, let's get this game done. What do you perceive that experience uh, to be like when you are playing for when you're playing this incredibly physical, aggressive sport, and your teammates around you sort of just say, "Let's get done." Yeah, it's not a good place to be, and, and in particular, uh, it's really a bad place to be early in the year. Uh, you know, I was on, uh, I, I would really say one bad team. It, it was the, the 2004 Miami Dolphins. I think we ended up 4-12. and 12. Uh, You know, Dave Wanstead was fired. I think we were 1-9, and nine and Dave Wanstead got fired, maybe even almost 0-8 or something like that. Uh, and, he, and he was let go, and, and um, uh, you know, actually, uh, uh, Jeremy Bates' dad, uh, uh, Jim Bates, uh, became our head coach, and he was fantastic. He's our defensive coordinator, and he sort of reset the tone of the whole team. Uh, and uh, we were a very talented team, in particular on defense. We probably had still about four or five Pro Bowlers uh, on that defensive side of the ball. You know, Junior Seau and and Zach Thomas and Jason Taylor, uh, Sam Madison, Pat Sertan. We had a lot of talent on that football team, but our offense was a, a complete disaster. And uh, and we sort of you know circled the wagons there. And, uh, you know, you're paid a lot of money to play this game, all 16 games, no matter how good or how bad you are. Uh, every single player has to have a certain amount of respect and pride uh, for themselves. And, and uh, you know, it's almost like for your family name. Uh, and obviously the organization you, you, uh, you play for, the fans that you play for who pay a lot of money. So I was very fortunate to not be on too many teams that, you know, week six, week seven uh, seemed like they had already shut it down. We actually ended that season – uh, winning uh, at least half, if not more than half, of our, our final games and, and sort of end of the season on a, on a fairly decent note heading into the next year. So uh, it, it's really a shame. The Cardinals are just a bad football team. They've made a lot of really poor draft picks. Uh, their offensive line is atrocious. You know, anytime you have a rookie quarterback or even Sam Bradford you know, playing behind an offensive line that's probably the worst in the league, you're only going to end up with maybe a couple wins at the end of the season. Hey, for, for the average player in the NFL – what percentage of football is work slash job slash kind of kind of miserable uh, versus percentage of fun? Uh, that's a good question. You know, I think the fun is like you know you're, you're hanging out in the locker room. Uh, you know, you, you have an hour for lunch or something. You have a little extra time, and you're uh, you know guys are telling funny stories in the locker room or on the you know on the bus going to the airport or on the flight. Uh, you sort of get that guy time, which is which is uh, that's the thing you probably miss the most when you're done. You know, practice really isn't that fun. 
training camp is miserable. Yeah. Uh, lifting weights, some people love to do. I, you know, it's amazing. I'm not playing football anymore. I still don't like lifting weights. But you know, talking to the other guys in the weight room, that type of stuff is fun. So I think really, if anything, that the camaraderie uh, is the best part of it. Now, game days, there's fun on game days, but really, it's you know the adrenaline rush. It's you know, it's almost like you're on. Uh, a whole bunch of drugs or something that it's, it's, it's such a good time. Uh, it's, it's so exciting uh, and so thrilling and, and, and so sort of nerve wracking. Uh, you'll never uh, you know be able to copy that the rest of your life. But I always felt like a lot uh, after a lot of most of the games that I played and most of the games that I won, whether it was really high school, college or the pros, I almost felt more relief uh, than, you know, pure joy after those victories. Was there a point in uh, in 2010 after you got traded where you looked back here and said to yourself, "Thank God," because in 2010, yeah, like immediately, like the, like the day, <laughs> the day of the phone call from or whoever called me, I was, I was, yeah, I was, uh, I, you know, I, you guys know this. I wasn't. Me and Chili did not get along for whatever reason. He may say differently. We've never really talked about it, but it didn't seem like he really liked me for some reason, and I sort of wasn't his guy. I was Spielman's guy. You know, Rick, Rick had traded for me twice in my career, one from Washington, Washington to Miami when he was there, and then obviously from Houston up to Minnesota when he was the, I guess, GM of the, of the Vikings. And so, you know, Tavares was Chile's guy. I think it's Tavares and I got along great. Uh, you know, we, we became pretty good friends that year. So, uh, yeah, I was happy to leave. I was happy to have a chance to go play uh, for the Giants. You know, it, it's neat to play for one of those sort of marquee organizations. And I'm not saying the Vikings are not, but – you know the the Cowboys, the Giants, uh, you know the Patriots. There's there's a you know the, the Steelers. There's a couple teams that just have so much history. Uh, you know, going back to really the the, the start of the entire league, uh, it was neat to play for them, even to, even if it was just for one season. Yeah, man, we that's a good time. We actually unveiled our in honor of Jimmy Butler and the Timberwolves dysfunction, a 32 item bracket of Minnesota sports dysfunction, and uh, there's, there's quite <laughs> quite a few things. There's actually a bunch of things from that 2010 season that you narrowly avoided. So. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I looked back, and then there was the, you know there was the, I was actually at uh, the Randy Moss. I think it was the first Randy Moss game when the Vikings had signed him. It was I was you know so I was playing for the Giants, and uh, I think they were playing Monday Night versus the Jets. Yes, and I went to that game, and it was it was a downpour. It was a, you know I think Favre did end up hitting Moss in some sort of play. They were trying to sort of force feed him the ball, uh, but yeah, that that season was an absolute disaster. There was an issue with Moss and the food. I remember reading about like he was. You know, trashing the the takeout or whatever it was on Friday. Uh, I just I sort of knew that wasn't gonna that wasn't gonna work out very well, and sure enough, it didn't. Well, Sage, you were with the Giants that year, and the Giants had played the Vikings at Detroit, right? Because it was after the the Metrodome collapsed, and the Vikings had to play that home game against you guys and the Giants in at uh, at Ford Field, right? Yes, and I, I believe that was that may have been the first game that Favre did not start or play in, yeah, uh, possibly, right? So. Yeah, that was a another uh, you know oddity to that season. You know, when, when it, for Vikings fans, when it rains, it pours. It seems like yeah. so. Yeah, the, <laughs> the, the the ceiling came down, and we all we the, as the Giants, the backup quarterback. That was a great win to have. I remember playing uh, uh, at Ford Field in Detroit, and Favre wasn't playing. Joe Webb, uh, what, I don't know if he started the game or, or played most of the game, and and you know the defensive co- the coaches were asking me, you know, what are we going to see out of this Joe Webb kid? And I said he's either going to throw a hitch a go route or he's going to run. Those are basically the only three things he's going to do. And that's pretty much what he did in that ball game. That's pretty much what he did in his career, you know, as a, as a quarterback. Yeah. Great stuff, Sage. We'll Thanks, talk Sage. next week again.
All right, guys, looking for it. Should be a good game this weekend. Yep, yep. Sage Rosenfels, part of the football hour, Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd are back. Start churning butter and put on your church shoes, little sister, because we're about to blast off. On 1500 ESPN. Football. Uh, the football hour has been marvelous. Sage Rosenfels, that was it's been super fun having him on Fridays. And if you haven't heard him on the Purple Podcast with Matthew Collar a couple days a week too, they dive into some fun stuff, including journeyman quarterback like, of the week. I love Wednesday. the journeyman quarterback of the week. <laughs> yeah. So uh so so check that out. Uh let's give away is it a pair of wild tickets for what, tomorrow night's game? That's correct, against the uh Tampa Bay Lightning. All right. Let's let's see how closely you've been paying attention to the six games played so far this year. All right, let's see here. Far too much attention. Sorry. Who currently leads the Wild? Very simple. Who currently leads the Wild in what category should we go? Six five one six four six eight two five five. Let's just make it easy. Goals. Who has scored the most goals in a Wild uniform so far this year in six games? Six five one six four six eight two five five eight seven seven six one five fifteen hundred. Mandy, the answer is there. You go. So the first caller to uh, correctly say that name into Manny's ear. It's not Gabrick, right? It is not Gabrick. Okay, good. Nor is it Nicholas Backstrom, which took apparently 13 phone calls for someone to guess the Saves leader. There was a lot of uh, Dwayne Rollison, a lot of Manny Fernandez guesses yesterday. There was a Darcy Kemper. Come on, man. Yeah, somebody guessed Darcy Kemper. Backstrom was here a long time, playing a lot of games. (laughs) Dubnik's going to pass him at the rate things are going this season, but that's that's a whole other topic. I was off the thing we were talking about with, yeah. and I think Royce is at Target Center, so we can talk some wolves with him to uh, to wrap the show. But off of our conversation with Sage there, I always think about quarterbacks that just never had a chance, or if you were to take a quarterback and put him in a different circumstance, would things have been different? I mean, like if you were to have put Andrew Luck with a better organization and teammates and front office. Would he have had to undergo shoulder surgery? Would he have missed mm-hmm. a year? Mm-hmm. Would he have a Super Bowl by now? Was uh, it, David was Carr is yeah. The, yeah. David Carr comes to mind every we have no idea. Like you don't have no clue. Mm-hmm. He he might have he might have at least had a fighting chance. And and it's malpractice to bring a kid into the league like that and then give him an offensive line that is that bad. Yes. Who this is kind of putting you on the spot now, but who is a quarterback that you feel the most terrible for? In the last, since you've been watching football, that like, man, if that guy only would have had a different organization or a different head coach, things could have been different. Because I might actually put Philip Rivers at the top of my list. Yeah, but he's been good enough that I don't feel terrible for him. He, he's, he's still going to retire with a great, but he's still going to he's still going to retire with a great career. Guys like Carr strike me more as because they never had a chance. They they were ruined. Their career was ruined, and it's not. It's some on them. But it's you also look at these teams that draft guys like that and say, what were you doing? Yeah, I might say Tim Couch. Yeah. So Tim, yeah, who knows what would happen? But Tim Tim Couch was like six foot four, mm-hmm. just looked the part, right? And not only does he get drafted into an expansion franchise, but it, as it turns out now, twenty years of data. <laughs> it's an expansion franchise, so the roster's weak, and also it was a horribly run franchise. It's one thing if you get drafted into the Jacksonville Jaguars expansion franchise and you've got Tom Coughlin running the show and you're in the right. playoffs in your second year like Mark right. Brunell was. I find the Ponder discussion to be so intriguing because of this. 
everyone you talk to now basically says that he had some some of the ability to make it. Not all, but some. Mm-hmm. But mentally, he was just so weak, it screwed him. Yeah, he was a he was a beta, right? Yeah. He, not that you have to be pound your chest alpha all the time. And that, but that becomes the question: like, is it how far? So if he had just taken it to a degree where, where he could have commanded respect on the field, and mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be Favre, but he came so far from that. He he seemed to have so a really deferential, indecisive personality, didn't he? Mm-hmm. And. I don't think you can play that position and defer because everyone's looking at you. Everyone in the huddle is looking at you. Not that you have to be the rah-rah guy, but you got to be able to command and and have some, I don't know, what's the, you have to, you, you have to, you, bearing is important. Like the way that you present yourself as a quarterback is really important, right? And if, and if people look at you like they did Christian Bonder and say, ooh, that guy seems to be kind of a, Wet fish or dead fish no handshake com- guy, No right? confidence what at all. Yeah. When Jennings talked to us about him, and I said, when did you know? And he's like, what? I said, when could, could you tell? And he said, when he looked at Ponder, and Ponder was just sort of lost. And and the worst part is, I sensed from, from what Greg Jennings told us, that Christian almost didn't get how to get it. And so it wasn't like, okay, kid, if you tweak this or that, it was just the sort of, well... It comes down to his post-game press conferences time and time again. Easily correctable. Dude, what does that even mean? Like, what's easily correctable? Yeah, well, it's, it's him trying to save face and yeah. in a moment of career embarrassment and uncertainty. Easily correctable, and then they'd ask Leslie about it, about it and what he'd always say. Just got to look at the tape. Look at the tape. <laughs> look at you the know, tape. When, Poor whenever, Poor in, in the rare occurrence that Christian Ponder played well in a game, they'd ask Leslie about it, and it was... Yeah, Christian made some nice throws. He made some really good reads. And, you know, it was a great team win. And Christian played great. He was fantastic. Ponder throws three picks in a game. Leslie, uh, Christian struggled out there. What was the issue? Well, we got to look at the tape. Got to look at the tape. Got to look at the tape. I, if, if we could ban <laughs> coaches from saying that, I would be so happy. <laughs> like the, was it Doug McDermott? Yeah, when Nathan Peterman threw five picks in the first half, and he's like, "Gotta look at the tape, bro." Sean McDermott. Or what did I say? Doug. Doug McDermott. Yeah. Doug McDermott looked Dougie at the buckets. tape too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Greatest Just bailout line of all time. Though. <laughs> I don't know what happened out there. There's so much going on. I gotta look at the tape. Uh, you guys want some of a voting update on day one of our 1500 ESPN Minnesota Sports Dysfunction Bracket Challenge? Mm-hmm. We've got three first-round matchups up right now, and you can fill out your bracket at 1500ESPN.com. We are celebrating the dysfunction of Minnesota sports historically. The Jimmy Butler stuff got us thinking about this and putting together, with help from our listeners and people on social media, a list of the 32 most notably dysfunctional moments in Minnesota sports history. Uh, Right now, first-round matchup between the Norwood Teague resignation and situation against the Les Steckel Viking season. Slight lead right now for Norwood Teague, fifty four percent to forty six percent. I'd say texting your votes, but I think that's you don't want to do you don't that. want to do that because Nor- Norwood did that far yeah. too often. Uh, another first round matchup here, and this is a blowout. I don't know. I feel like this one shouldn't be as much of a blowout, but Gary Anderson's missed field goal in the ninety eight NFC Championship game is uh, blowing away the Gopher football blown lead in the Insight Bowl. That was a thirty one point blown lead. <laughs> Cost Glenn Mason his job. Yes. Basically. 86% for the Gary Anderson missed field goal right now. And the other first round matchup we have on Twitter, 1500 ESPN Twitter, 41 Donut leading Jimmy Butler's 
escapades the last 30 days, 54% to 46%. Hmm. Interesting. With time left on the vote. Uh, Let's talk to a man next who's seen his share of dysfunctional Minnesota sports moments. We think he's at Target Center, Patrick Roy. Mackie and Judd now continue. What now? What now? Let me tell you what now. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. All right, let's take a look at your traffic before we uh, wrap with Roycey here. And this traffic update brought to you by the Better Business Bureau. 35 northbound uh, before the split, we have a crash uh, near Lakeville. That is between uh, 185th Street and Kenwood Trail. Look out for the trash. Look out for the crash. And uh, the roadway is actually reduced to one lane. So uh, prepare for about a 21-minute delay if you're heading northbound on 35 near Lakeville. Join Better Business Bureau at the Torch Awards for Ethics. BBB's Torch Award embodies Better Business Bureau's mission of advancing trust in the marketplace. 14 businesses will be honored at U.S. Bank Stadium on October 24th. Purchase tickets at bbb.org slash Minnesota. TCL Broadcast Studio time to wrap with Patrick. Are you at uh, the, the Wolves? Is that correct tonight, sir? Yes, sir. I am at Target Center. Been here uh, virtually all day. I was uh, here for the shoot-around. I uh, went over to the Star Tribune. I've been back since about 3.30, and uh, I can't uh, say that the uh, excitement is overwhelming us. I don't think they're going to have 17,000 tonight. Man. They, uh, they said that uh, things were going fine. They had a nice renewal rate, and then whenever it was that Jimmy... The story first came out that Jimmy didn't like uh, Wiggins, I guess, was the first one, right? Somewhere in June or July or whatever. Yeah, yeah July, right? They, uh, they basically went, they stopped right then, and they haven't sold any tickets since. So. Hey, but, I, th- uh, I see Jimmy Butler stole something from your, uh, from your wardrobe closet. He appears to be wearing a flowered suit with some kind of a white piratey looking undershirt and uh, no socks with some nice black loafers. I saw I you in that outfit him. last week. I did, did, not, uh, did not see him uh, today, so I didn't see him enter. We had video of him entering the arena, did we? Or I just see a photo here from one of the WCCO photogs, uh, Aaron okay. Goodyear. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, he uh, did not uh, do the uh, do an interview at the... Uh, at the uh, shoot-around, and then uh, said that he would talk after the game tonight. So I have not uh, seen him, but I will. Uh, when I get in the locker room after the game, I'll check out his uh, outfit. See how he's looking. <laughs> nice. I'm Patrick. I, I'm examining the Cavs roster right now, and I can tell you, I'm planning to go to the game. But I don't blame anyone who's not paying for this game tonight. Well, you get Kevin Love and Colin Sexton's a hell of a young player, and uh, beyond that, I don't know. I, you know what I've been saying all day, though, guys? We knew one thing for sure when uh, Kevin Love got traded to Cleveland. He'd get out of there as soon as he could. He was going to be in L.A. or Portland as soon as he could, and six years later, he's the only one still left. So yeah. uh, we, Everything we know that's going to happen happens unless it doesn't. That's what, so who knows how this works out? The, Maybe Wiggins plays like crazy for a month. They're able to trade him, and they sign Jimmy Butler. Who knows? Well, that's I. I mean, if you if you could somehow get if you could assure Jimmy Butler's health and get him and Cat for the next five years, that would be an incredible solution. But I'm not uh, betting on this. But I think everything is up in the air. Okay. But uh, this uh, this is this is a big game for the Timberwolves, even though. It's not a big game in the big picture, but it's certainly a big game for the immediacy because if you lose at home to Cleveland, 
uh, all the uh, runaway negativity will uh, be doubled, and uh, you'll really be in trouble. Patrick, Although I, I was up talking to the fans, and once again, I, I'm not sure how much booing there'll be tonight, but uh, at, at least the early arrivers are not as upset as uh, the, I said it was like this way with the Timberwolves last year, too. Outside the arena, it was terribly negative. Inside the arena, it wasn't. Lots of Derrick Rose jerseys up there, by the way. So wow. kind of odd that people like to have have uh, jerseys with the names of other people will recognize, I guess. Patrick, I, I've said, and I, I told Phil and Judd this earlier, that I think December 15th is going to be a big day for this team in terms of where you know what's going to happen with Jimmy Butler because by then any free agent that signed in the offseason will be eligible to be yeah. traded and that'll open up options for as trade supposedly pieces. supposedly the uh the Miami rumor hit again today Richardson who had a big game and Kel- Kelly Olnick so and a number one draft choice was, was hitting out there again but I don't have any idea where it comes from but also, also at that point of the season yeah. too, you're going to have a pretty good idea of what this team, or where this team is at too, because you'll have enough. And a guy like there. Wayne Ellington could be thrown into a trade too. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Hey Pat. I don't know. Pat, your your upset fans are in the bar with tickets right now and are going to show up at tip off and they're going to be absolutely tanked. They're going to be the upset. So if you want the upset fans, wait for the drunk ones to come in. All right. Well, I'm sure there are, uh, you know, there's going to be some booze. I just don't know if it's going to be the resounding uh, booze. I think that you, uh, you'll you hear uh, some before the game, and six minutes into the game, if they're down eight, then you'll really hear from them. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, uh, it, it, they're certainly, you know, the uh, honeymoons for uh, playoff uh, eras don't last too long here. 2004, of course, uh, that was an eight-year playoff run. And uh, then Latrell had to feed his family, and they did not draw. They did not sell out the season opener uh, the next year after making the Western Conference Finals. They didn't come close, really. And now, after this playoff era, one year, <laughs> it's uh, everybody's, uh, you know, they, they're not going to draw 17,000 yeah. people. So hey, the honeymoons don't last long around here. Pat, we need we need your help here. We have uh, we're having some fun with our Minnesota sports dysfunction. So we actually put a bracket on fifteen hundred ESPN dot com, a thirty two item bracket, the thirty two most dysfunctional moments in Minnesota sports history. We need your help with uh, with a couple first round matchups here. What was more dysfunctional, forty one donut or the Jimmy Butler last thirty days? Oh, I'd say the last thirty days. That was just a blip, you know, 41 Donut. 41 Donut was certainly more fun. It was one of the highlights of my sports rating career. I've, <laughs> I can't remember when I've been so happy in my life as seeing Denny walk off the field after that one. But, yeah. uh, you know, but, yeah, I would say this is worse. All right, more dysfunction. Although long-term, uh, you know, long-term effects, uh, man, uh, yeah, well, they still had a couple of decent years after 41 Donut. Sure. So I'd say this, this one right now. All right, uh, this this might be a potential third round matchup. More dysfunctional, Love Boat, or the North Stars moving out of Minnesota? Oh, Love Boat. Uh, hey, in the long term, Love Boat because getting rid of the North Stars is the greatest thing that ever happened to Minnesota. We now have a new arena in St. Paul with much more support than the North Stars ever had in their lives, and it's been a nothing but an upgrade to get rid of the North Stars. As I said on my kicker to my column. When they left down, 
goodbye losers. <laughs> Bite your tongue. <laughs> they had a nicer logo. That's the only thing the North Stars had that was better than the than the Minnesota Wild. Judd's getting ready to throw down right now. Louie and I want the okay. name back. That's all we want back. We just oh, want the name God back. Almighty. Smoke some more dough, please. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not in Canada. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you might as well. Be. I'll have to see this bracket. I'll be able to uh, to uh, help you fill it out a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I would go with the love boat. The love boat was, see, all the Vikings' great malfunctions, though, have been fun. You know, they've been fun. Did the Wizenator make the list? Yeah, the, oh, yeah. the, the, the oh yeah, the Wizenator is in a tough first round matchup against the Metrodome roof collapsing. Oh, okay. Yeah, the Wizenator well, was uh, that. That's my favorite moment. There, there's, it's a 32 item field, Pat, and like 15 of them are Vikings related. So you know, it's, it's great. How about the uh, How about the uh, the uh, triangle the, uh, that I had the. Uh, the uh, triangle where they had uh, 13 DWIs in an 18-month period. Wow. That, yeah. that, we that got left that off. That's going to that's that's be in the NIT version of the bracket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All, right. all right, Pat, we got to run. Yeah, we did a nice little chart in the St. Paul paper showing where all the DWIs were. <laughs> 494. <laughs> all right, see you, Pat. Oh, man. All right, you can find, if you missed any of Pat or if you missed any of Chris Singleton or Sage Rosenfels, 1500ESPN.com. Mackie and Judd show page or anywhere you would download or subscribe to podcasts.